0: Taking an idea and doing something with it can be challenged by doubt, failure, opinions, resource limitations, fear. It must overcome these forces to find its own space. This podcast, The Post Process, is the start of an uncertain audio journey, learning from stories and lessons born out of a creative mindset. It is not clear where the podcast will go, but it's going to start with a conversation between artist Mary McDonald and composer Catherine McMichael at the Theatre Rothke Museum in Saginaw, Michigan. Let's listen in. Well, um, hi, I'm Mary. This is Catherine. And if anybody can't hear anything, just, uh, yeah, just raise your hand or shout somehow. Um, I'll just say quickly that the images behind us—these, this is some of my work that you're seeing. It's—it's uh, it's all different sizes. I'm probably not going to talk about any individual piece, but if you do have a question, I'm happy to uh, answer it afterwards. Um, some of them are my studio, and then some are paintings, and uh, well, you'll figure it out. So, um,
1: okay. Well, the music that you've been hearing is music I've written. And I think I'll just dive right into the main topic, which is how to turn your inspiration into reality. Uh, And I'm always inspired by Cole Porter's famous quote, which is, I'm always inspired by a call from my agent. And uh, (laughs) I can look at beautiful art, read great literature, you know, go look at fantastic mountains, But when someone asks for a piece, now that's what gets my burners, you know, sparking. And most of the writing I do is on commission for specific people or events or places. And I find that that's a very, I mean, the inspiration itself is exciting because someone wants something that you can do. And then comes the research. And then there's a deadline. And a deadline is a very inspiring thing, let me say, it. Let me say that. <laughs> there's nothing quite like saying, we're going to perform it in April, so, <laughs> so uh, we're going to need that. Um, so m- most of the things that I do, like for example, right now, at this very moment, uh, I just finished a triple piano concerto for my student, who's a, going to be a senior next year. And his dad is Scott Hislop, who's the music director down at St. Lawrence in Frankenmuth. So Scott plays, I play, and Nicholas plays. And so Scott wanted a piano concerto that the three of us could play with Nicholas's band because he plays French horn. So I mean, what a kick, wow. what a kick. So the inspiration there was, I mean, these are a bunch of devout Lutherans and we're going to have a samba. I mean, it's going to be like fun. We want to have super, super duper fun. I just finished that. I got a call from a church in Louisville I play handbells and I direct handbells, and I've written some handbell music, and um, their handbell director is sadly in her uh, final stages of breast cancer. And so the church, has they want a piece to honor her, and they said, well, we want to honor her, not memorialize her. When could you do it? I said, well, you're jumping to the head of the line. So I did that right after I finished the piano concerto. Um, In front of me, I've got a a multi-movement band piece for the 200th anniversary of Flint. Now that is interesting. You know, I mean, we, you know, whatever you think about Flint, it's got a very interesting history. And uh, I've got a piece to write for a trombonist uh, who wants to put together a CD of stories untold. He's already got the title of the CD, and he's he's looking at social issues or personal issues. You know, something that could be expressed in music. And I, we had a conversation, and I, I came up with um, the, the quandary of choice, you know, especially where it applies to women, um, but not all women, you know. I mean, many times it's a couple that has to decide about that choice. So you know, wh- whatever your feelings are about it, it's a very problematic and sensitive issue that I have personal feelings about, so I felt uh, this is something I could address. I have a piece to write for um, oh, Benton DeGroote, who's the most fabulous baritone. Oh my God, he wants a piece. So I'm so happy to write something for such a gifted singer. He's dramatic. If, I, I just played a recital today at 2 o'clock, and he was one of the soloists. and I was, I, I, I was just laughing because I was accompanying him, and I was laughing, it was so ridiculously great. It was so ridiculously great. I thought, oh my God, I get to write for this guy. So these are just some of the things that are upcoming, and every one of them starts as a question. Could you do this? And then it's like my answer is always, well, of course. And then becomes the the process, which I think we're going to talk about. But I'll, I'll hand it back to you, because I'm sure you have many similar situations that you can share. But it's that next step that gets it from, could you do this, to, we're playing it tomorrow night.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, um, I'm not going to talk about what's coming up. I think I'm going to jump right in with the process stuff. Um, that, because I was while you were talking, I was wondering about if somebody tells you how many, or asks for certain instruments. Or if that's up to you to use three pianos instead of two piano, or or what uh, you know how how you're going to use that, and um, I I do think it might be interesting to add that so we're both you know Catherine's art form is ab- is an abstract art form it's music uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't have a form and um, a physical form and it's best. <clears throat> when it's uh, when it's performed and you hear it live, of course, in my opinion, better than a recording, it's very different. It's a different experience. So, I use a language too. Um, I mean, it's it's argued that there's no such thing as an abstract painting or drawing, and I understand that. And what that means is that it always starts with something. And what is that thing? That thing is different every time, so um, as it's stated in the little blurb on the piece of paper, for me it might be uh, a bird call, a color, an incident, something that happened. Uh, it could be remembering a concert I heard, uh, or a particular piece of music. But music, it just so happens that that is something that really motivates, that, that stirs me up. and. Uh, I also like the idea that I'm taking some abstract form and translating that into another abstract form. I mean, it's an abstract picture, though it does have a physical form. You can live with the painting or stand opposite a painting for a long time, whereas the music it's just gone the moment you hear it. But I think about music a lot when I paint, and um, when I'm, my process is extremely long. I don't have commissions, so it's just me making something and hoping it connects or response or somebody, it, it elucidates some sort of response. Can be a good response, can be a bad one, <laughs> doesn't matter, you know, a response is what's better than no response. Um, but I think about music and often when I'm painting and I'm stuck, which inevitably happens, and I think we could probably, I'll ask Catherine about this, getting stuck, what happens um, to her? But I, I have all sorts of tricks by now because I've been doing this a long time. And tricks, and what I mean by tricks is what do I ask myself, what's my thought process? And one of them is, um, I think about, I'll look at it and I'll say, okay, if this was a composer, and I'm thinking musical composer, if this was a composer, who would it be? And who do I want it to be? Where, where do I want to steer it? Where do I need a little flute here? Like, that means something to me. This is how my brain works. Like, maybe there's too much tuba. How come there's so many tubas in this painting? Like, you know, and why and what do I need to make it uh, talk to me? Um, I think we could talk about getting stuck, and I also think it might be interesting to talk about how do we know when something's finished, which is a question
1: I get asked a lot. So, before I talk about getting stuck, I, I think it's so interesting that she, that Mary is talking about, she needs a little flute and there's too many tubas. And when I'm writing, I'm thinking, I need a little more blue and I need a little more red. And I need, a little, I mean, it's, it's, you know, so many art forms are really, um, I don't know what the word is, synergistic, interconnected. It's just different expressions of the same kind of creativity if you, if, you, if you're moved to make sculpture or make poems or make music, but all of us are, are getting influences from all around. You know, everything we see and hear, taste, touch, people we know. One of the things that Mary and I were talking about, um, we, we went out for coffee Thursday we would never met, and we thought it would be nice to meet before we sat here and <laughs> did this. And, uh, I was talking about how I got started writing music. I am no child prodigy. I didn't start writing until I was in my 30s. And um, I mean, I was doodled, I was improvised, but I never actually wrote anything down. Like I've, I'm, I wasn't driven to write a piece of music. And I was giving a talk to a Zonta organization that Mary Prinsing had asked me to do. And uh, I was there as a, as a musician, not as a composer and the woman sitting next to me was a tax attorney or something who wrote books i mean novels or something and she was talking about how she did that and i'm thinking about that and i'm thinking i could do that i could do that i could i could write something and what what, what our talk went to was the power of one that the 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 strangest influence that you would never maybe think. I mean, that woman has no idea that she kicked off my compositional career. I don't remember her name. She lives in Midland. But just listening to her thinking, I could do that, was it, it was not an epiphany at the moment, but late, as I look back, that was the moment. Mm-hmm. But talking about getting stuck, which uh, the piece that was playing before I turned it off was a symphony that I wrote for the 75th anniversary of the Saginaw Bay Symphony Orchestra. And uh, it took me a long time to come up with an idea, and I hadn't come up with one yet. And I was reading a book called The Dark Night of the Soul by Thomas Moore, a contemporary author, not the, not the oh, old one, okay. but, the, but a contemporary author. And he was talking about, there was a chapter on creativity, and he said, what do you do when your, when your work is supposed to take a blank page and put something on it? What do you do? And what if you don't know what to do? And his advice, and I took it, was go back to something that's inspired you in the past. And what I, uh, another large piece that I had written for the um, Saginaw Choral Society and the Midland, um, Midland Corral was the Seven Saints and Sinners. And that was based on Marshall, the Marshall Frederick sculpture of seven pieces that you can see up in Midland and it's uh, in, in his sculpture gallery at SVSU. And um, he, several of his characters are biblical, or biblical in nature. There's Eve, there's the pious monk, um, and, and the good influence. And I, getting ready to write that piece, I, I read the Bible quite a bit. You know, I mean, you can, you can go on a tour of the Psalms and. Beethoven's in there, Mendelssohn's in there, Brahms is in there. They're all in there, you know, every, every good guy eventually went to, went to the Psalms. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go to the Psalms and just read them. And there's like 124 of them or something. How many? Thank you. Well, I read them all. And it's like, I, don't, I didn't know what I was looking for, but it's, you, you know when you find it. And for the joyful noise, which was, ended up being the symphony that I wrote, I, I based it on three different psalms. My, um, I cast my eyes up to the hills from whence cometh my strength, and then by the rivers of Babylon, where we, we, we wept when we remembered Zion. And then there is this, this fantastic, sort of cosmic, almost like a Revelations kind of psalm about the, the Lord is in his chariot, and there's, the, the angels are flinging down lightning bolts. And I, I mean, so visual. I, you know, I just got started you know it it's you go back to something that has captured you in the past, and it was very successful and i I've, I've used that strategy many times when i don 't get stuck that often, but occasionally you just need and you're thinking oh, I need a new idea, a new idea, no, maybe what you need is to revisit an old idea, but now you 're a different person you're you 're a new person you 've done different things, and now you are. You you can mine that mine that field for for new thoughts.
0: Well, um, you gave me a, an idea right there to go to the Psalms. So okay, I have to add that one. But me, I uh, I get stuck every time I make a painting. I mean, not all, but I'm talking about the larger paintings. Uh, some of my smaller paintings—it's—it's it's not that they're any less significant because I don't feel that way at all. But uh, I think of them more like notes or diphthongs and uh, uh, or a phrase. It's—it's it's not a sound, an isolated sound. Whereas the larger paintings, and some of them are, you know, as big as this back wall. Um, these I think of as more symphonic. So those, they take longer, but not always, sometimes the little ones, but no matter what. So I'm working on a painting for nine months or something, and, and I get stuck, and it, and it just happens. I mean, I, 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 chase, I chase anything that comes to mind in the painting, and I'm building it, I'm, I'm adding paint, and I'm taking paint away. Um, I work on the floor. So I walk around the painting. I always feel like I'm stalking the painting and I, you know in different directions. <laughs> and because it allows me to hold open where the painting's going to settle. I don't want to know where I'm going before I go. I, I really actually work hard to get lost. And you, know, I did that in high school too. And <laughs> I feel like I'm still doing it in the studio now. But I, I don't want to know, like, I don't do a sketch on a piece of paper and then, boom, do the painting. Like, no fun for me. I, I, I have to find it. The process and the journey is what, uh, that's what interests me. Um, so I, I do get stuck. I get in a place where I just, I just am absolutely clueless. Um, at which point I, I often look at the painting, uh, I, I flip it from horizontal to vertical, I look at it from every different orientation, and that's one thing I do. Another thing is walk around outside and look at uh, all the trees. I, I live in a forest in upstate New York, and and I look at the lines in the trees, and. <laughs> Other things and think how, how, how come you know they get it right okay it's it's all around me like you find it and uh of course i talk to myself in the studio but um anyway i, I but then the other thing i come to is what is the last thing you would do to this what is the last color you would reach for Mustard, let's say, or you know, something that just utterly does not belong there, and that's the one I'll pick up and do something to the painting and uh, do a big move, not a tiny little bit in the corner, because that's not stepping up. So. I have to make a big violation and always risk losing every single thing in the painting that I do like in order to get something better. And that's a mindset that I don't have 24 7 in the studio, but I know that's the one I need. So it's a large dance around this kind of thinking back and forth with myself. and playing with materials as well at the same time. So, um,
1: how about a little chat with that? <laughs> I am exactly the opposite.
2: <laughs>
1: I, my, my biggest challenge actually is, what is it gonna be about? Okay, what is it gonna be about? Once I get that, I can usually kind of go with it. But the hard part is, OK, I've got this project. And uh, I tell this funny story. I had a commission from a, a chamber group in Washington, DC. soprano, flute, clarinet, and piano. And there is not a lot of music for that instrumentation. And actually, I'm sort of a niche composer. I mean, everybody finds me who wants, like, bassoon, saxophone, and piccolo or something. You know, I, I find these little odd things. but. I love that. I love that. It's so, you know, it's a new sound. So I was pondering that and she said, well, we really loved your haiku pieces and we'd love you to do some haiku. I said, okay. So I'm looking at haiku and I'm reading haiku and I'm thinking, I am not hearing it. I'm not, it's not, it's not resonating. I'm not getting it. So in the meantime, I I teach piano and I had a student come and she's quite a writer. She's, she's now graduated from like, University of Iowa, where they have this great writing program. But she was a high school student at the time. And she liked to tell me about her stories. And at the time, I was also taking my neighbor's dog. And I had two dogs. So I had three dogs in the house at all times. Okay? So I, I said to her, it, she, she was playing the Clementi Sonatina. And I said, you know, these movements are kind of like, like the dogs. I said, the first movement. That's like Jack, you know. Jack's sort of the soldier. He said in the middle movement, that's like Mimi, who's very sweet. And then the last movement, that's like the clown. That's Jenny. You know, they're they're all they all have these personalities. These Clementi Saniti, you know, dum da da dum bum bum. Everybody knows that one. And I said to her, I wish I could write a piece about dogs. And I thought, I have got this project I'm supposed to do. I could write a piece about dogs. So I emailed the person and I said, now before you say no, just read read the email and tell me what you think and uh, she came back and she said I love dogs and then came the fun part because then I read a thousand quotes about dogs and the one that got me started was if you take a starving dog and make him prosperous he will not bite you that is the principal difference between a dog and a man and I thought Okay, we're rolling, and, and so once I get to that point, I can go, you know, it's, it's getting there, the, what I call the Eureka moment, the Eureka idea. And, and uh, Mary mentioned, you know, how do you know when you're done? I never have that problem, but it's, it's how do I know how to start? What am I gonna, what is this gonna be? Wow. And so I, I, and as long as you're still looking, you haven't found it. And, and it just something goes, click. I'll tell one other interesting story. You all know Dave and Bobby Conrad, or a lot of you probably do. And um, I had another interesting project from an anonymous person. I still don't know who commissioned this. But they wanted something for organ and woodwind quintet. Now this is not your usual thing. And so Greg Largen at First Prez was the uh, proxy. And, he, and I would say, well, I really like to talk to the person, get what they want. And he said, I said, well, do they, do they have a sense of humor? I mean, like with ragtime, I mean, like organ and woodwind content. Oh, yeah, they have a good sense of humor. And then I thought, well, maybe, maybe a five-part fugue. God, I couldn't do that. But I was searching, searching, searching. Well, anyway, the Conrads had, had us over for dinner. And I was going to be visiting my best friend who had moved to Italy. And we were going to go to Florence. And Dave Conrad said, oh, you've got to see the Gates of Paradise. And something went, and I thought, that's it. I don't even know what they are, but that's it. And that was it. And it turned into an 80-minute 12-movement <laughs> piece for chorus of brass quintet, woodwind quintet, and organ. So, but it's, it's that. I, I think it probably took me a year to hear that little it's going to be that from there then the research happens and then I just have fun with with the next part of it but it, uh, it's the agony is the beginning
0: uh, I, I want to ask you a question uh, what's the research part what, re, what what are you
1: researching I'm curious um, well for the Gates of Paradise first of all I went there <laughs> and I saw them I, I don't know if you know the Gates of Paradise they are uh, brass they're gold gold um, crusted brass doors sculpted by Ghiberti in the 1400s and they adorn the eastern doors of the Baptist Street in Florence on the Duomo square so when the morning sun shines it shines on these doors and each each panel there's ten panels they each depict a Bible story an Old Testament story so there's noah and there's jacob and esau and there's solomon and sheba and there's adam and eve and there's david and goliath all of these stories are in these panels but the doors themselves are like they're like 16 feet high and they're just monumental and they're i i pat and i went my friend pat and i went we we were january 1st 2000 okay january 1st 2000 we're in florence we get up early and we're gonna go to look at these gates of paradise. And we go, and it's like 7 o'clock in the morning. No one is there. We have them all to ourselves. And we're just looking at them. And she says, are you thinking about music? And I said, yeah. She says, I can hear it. I can hear it. (laughs) It was just like overwhelming, just overwhelming. And I took pictures of every single panel. And then I did the research on all the stories. But then um, there's the, uh, the instrumentation, which was at the time just organ and woodwind quintet, which after those were premiered, Carl Angelo said to me, "You got to keep going. I want to do organ and brass quintet." And then after, after that concert, Coal Society came to me and said, "You got to keep going. We got to we got to finish these doors." You know, so it was a commission over three years from three completely different people. But I, I read about the stories. I read about the sculptor. I read about the um, the I don't know the I don't know what. And then um, I I also talk to the musicians. And I did a lot of, I had to go over to First Congregational and just, I said to Carl, I need to play the organ. I'm not an organist. But I, everything I was playing on piano was just so trite. And crap, it was just crap. 95% of mostly, you know, when you're getting ready, it's crap. But then, but if you go, I played on the organ and the organ told me what to do. You know, I, did, so you just, I, I said, I just wanna, I wanna record this. I just wanna mess around on your organ. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds bad, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I spent about 45 minutes, and I literally pulled out all the stops, and the two that I chose were Moses getting the Ten Commandments, and um, Joshua and the and around circling Jericho. I mean, it really uh, no 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 that was Woodward. Wood, um, it was um, David and Goliath, and so those two these these oh, these powerful things with brass. And you hear brass and percussion and organ, and you think, "Oh yeah, this is going to be cool." So all those things kind of take take part in. Okay.
0: Yeah. Wow. Good. Yes. Excellent. Um, No, I'm just imagining those doors and all the images in my head. But just like research-wise, I just I was just imagining you sitting at the piano with a pencil and paper and I, I wanted to complete the picture in my head of the research part,
1: so thank you. I'll say, I'll, I will say one thing: most of the writing I do, I do away from the piano. I go on long walks because if I stay at the piano, I'm limited to what I can play. And if you're writing a piece for multiple forces, it's it's kind of like you know your your, your paints. You got to make new paints. You know you can't go with what what you had. You have to you have to go a little bit further. So. Um, I'll, like, uh, I'll go on a long walk. And um, actually Saints and Sinners was all um, Kitty Hawk beach walking. You know, Kitty Hawk back and forth, miles and miles and miles, just um, out of thinking about themes. And then, I'd, then I'll write them down with paper and pencil. And just actually the main theme. I mean, the whole um, joyful noise, I mean, the whole last movement is like one line of handwriting. I you just go from there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, that's, uh, as you said before,
0: very different from me, because I do not have a problem starting at all. <laughs> I, can, I can just start uh, many, many pieces at the same time. In fact, it's always uh, once I start, after it's launched. Then, uh, But it, when I do get to the place uh, where I do believe it to be a giant mud cake, when it gets to this just absolute thing that I uh, that I cannot look at, I cannot confront. Then, uh, then I really it's like then okay, I put the screws on and go. You have to look at that. You have to you have to face this again. You find it, and uh, but that's when I think the painting starts for me. I think it's easy. I could have worked six months, but until I get to this point and. And what is that point? It's I, I work toward a point where I I want to recognize part of what I'm looking at, but I don't want it to be. Uh, I also want to not. I want mystery in it. So it's okay if, if there's something that that that's making sense. And of course, I'm not consciously trying to do something like Mary McDonald style. In fact, I. Do the opposite. Whenever I have come to a place where it does seem like a style, then that's it. You know, I change. Um, but again, it's 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 actually less of an intellectual choice than really a guttural. It's a response. It's just uh, a feeling that I'm responding to there. But so I, I I like to take a painting to a place where it's. Uh, where again, part of it's there, but part of it makes me, surprises me. So I can look at it and say, like, what is that? And um, okay. And and if I can look at it for a long time, I don't want to get it. I'm not, for me, art, and I'm talking not just visual art, but music, dance, anything. If I can look at it again and again and again, and every, each time I look at it, it, it brings something else to me, something new, it reveals another facet of itself. That's, that's what I'm interested in looking at or listening to or spending my time with. So um, I always like that mystery in there. <laughs> Joyce? oh one more time two more time three more time <laughs>
3: oh yeah and then i see all of this coloring and the painting and all that can you talk about that a little bit I Yeah, sure
0: yeah that that those musicians this is uh, that was those are shots from um, Vienna. They were taken. That's a, a live performance in Vienna, Austria. And what happened? Um, that was a really interesting project um, that I'm glad you asked about. So I have a really good friend who's uh, actually a world famous jazz pianist and composer. Uh, his name's Fred Hirsch. He uh, he's an amazing pianist uh, and and. We became good friends. He's lived with AIDS for over 30 years. and uh, Anyway, when, when we met, we were both working at an artist residency and he was playing piano and I just loved it so much that I asked him if I could lay under the piano while he was practicing in the library and he said, sure. So... He, he, he indulged me, and I, I, I laid under the piano, which uh, gorgeous Steinway in this fabulous library in the woods of New Hampshire, and he was in his world, I was in my world. Well, we found out that we both have, he, he has a house in the country. He lives in Manhattan uh, with his partner, Scott, but he um, they have a place near me. So we got so excited and decided to, that we could have sessions together where he would play and I would draw or paint or whatnot. Um, but uh, as you know, I am a very messy painter, so uh, I kind of <laughs> reeled myself in and took the drawing materials. We did it at his house because it's hard to move a Steinway. So uh, there we were, and um, so. So we had this session that was like, I think it was in 2015 or 2016, early January. Uh, and he, before we got together, I brought all these materials to his house. He, he handed me some of his manuscript sheets, his music manuscripts. And he said, here, in case you run out of paper, use these to draw on. And I was just like, oh no, <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't use his like what felt to me like sacred texts, you know. I, I could not do this. I couldn't uh, violate his pencil drawn manuscripts. But anyway, I, I, took, I did one that day. But he, he um, I should say that he was practicing Bach partitas and also playing Brahms. And then he was working on a commission that he had for a, a band called A Room Full of Teeth. And uh, so when we finished, I, I took the sheets home. And th- this was around the time my father was dying and uh, I had been home a lot and um, with my mother who's right over there and my dad and rest of the family. and. When I was little my mom had this little sewing box about this big in in the cupboard and I used to go look at it because it was full of gnarled up uh, embroidery threads and I used to just look at it because it was this massive color and it gave me a rush. So that's when I was, I went to the box a few years ago to get a rush in this grieving time and, uh, and then I pulled out the mass of colors, and my mother saw me with them. And, and she said, why don't you take those? Take those. So I said, really? And so I took them back with me. And I brought, after working with Fred, I came back that day to my studio, and I put his manuscript sheets next to the colored threads in my studio. So again, these, these uh, threads had been in this box for many, many years, and they, they were just all gnarly and then right next to it these manuscript sheets with these staff lines very parallel perfect geometry and the way my brain works it just kind of fired it it tangled them both together in my brain i saw it together in my brain and i instantly um started listening to recordings of the bach partitas and drawing on these the 14 sheets he gave me. And, uh, and then I picked these embroidery threads and started stitching my lines. Not, not Fred's music notation, but my, the lines I drew on there which to me relate to the partitas. So, And I am not a sewer. I always hated it when I was little and uh, there are a lot of little holes in the paper where you can see like my missteps. And it became an activity I did uh, in the wintertime, and I hate the cold. And I liked staying in this ball, and I felt like I was in this uh, fetal position practically working on these things. And I liked how I could use the light to hold it up to see where my drawn lines were so that I could puncture it and, and sew it with these threads. And I also started feeling, thinking a lot about women, I guess since I was in this fetal position and I was thinking about a womb and also thinking about how women and mothers are very much, they're stitching all the time. They're doing these little things that some, that are invisible for the most part. But they're the glue that kind of keeps everything together. So, All of this was what I was thinking about as I did these before I quickly really leaned heavily on Fred, I need more, I need more, I need more sheets. (laughs) So I knew I had a a residency coming up in in Mallorca, Spain, and manuscript sheets are very easy to transport on an airplane, much better than other art materials. So I took a big box with me and uh, my mom and I figured out that these threads that I'm using, they were hers when she was a little girl before she got married and came to this country from Canada. So those threads are over 70 years old, and um, so I, when I was in Mallorca I, I blew it out, yep, yeah, I blew it out and did all of those, that's a 39 foot wall. and. Uh, Realized that now I turned music uh, now. It's a visual piece of artwork so Then let's put another layer on that and I asked a, a Composer friend of mine who's one of my best friends. He lives in Vienna. He saw them loved them and Said let's do something with them and he and I said I want somebody to play them Not a jazz pianist, but somebody else so we he engaged these two women, uh, percussionists, a, a pianist, and uh, a percussionist, and they played what my visual scores on Fred's sheets. So that's uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it's it's a little fuzzy. You can see it a little bit better on my computer. I think it's a with the retinal display, but. Uh, it's a, it's a little clearer. But yeah, that's, uh, that's embroidery threat, yeah. Anything
1: on that? Where do I go from that? <laughs> well, just addressing your starting and putting it away and starting it and putting it away. Um, something I've been doing with my students is every year, we, haven't, we didn't do that when Mike was a student, but we've been doing it about the past six or seven years, I guess. Every one of my students writes a piece every year. And so we have to do it for our March plan. And I, I mean, I've got eight year olds and I've got 18 year olds and they all write something. And um, there are tears at times. And I say, you know, if this was easy, everybody would do it. But you're my student, and I'm going to help you do it. And uh, some of the first things we do, <clears throat> the first step is, I mean, some, some just naturally just take to it like a duck to water. Others are, um, well, they're just baffled. They don't know where to begin. And I find that limitations are often very helpful to creativity. Because when you... Can do anything, you're sort of paralyzed by choice. When you only have a couple of things to use, you can get very creative with those things. And so the first step I often do with my students, I'm not sure how you could apply this to your project, but you know, maybe there's something in there, is I ask them to dis- disguise a piece and a really easy piece, like Mary Had a Little Lamb or Jingle Bells or something really easy. But I want them to do something with it that I that I can't tell what they used. So that gets us into a discussion of well, major and minor, fast, slow, high, low, um, happy, happy, sad, um, tonal, atonal, um, all the various qualities of music that you can use to make a piece. And sometimes I can guess, and often I cannot, which is I love that. And I say, because because when I can't recognize it, what that means is you've taken an idea, and you've made it your own. Uh, the, the other thing that often happens is, I'll, I'll give them that assignment, and maybe we'll do it a couple of times, and then I'll say, now, okay, you've done this with someone else's theme, now just come up with your own simple theme. I mean, we're not trying to write the Tchaikovsky piano concerto here, we're just trying to write. I'll tell them, why don't you write something for yourself, as a younger person. You know, if you were, if they're 13 years old, i said, imagine if you were seven or eight, and you wanted to give yourself a piece that you'd really like to play. What would that be? Just to start there, start with something kind of simple. I think often we also, it's kind of like watching the masters or something, you watch these golfers, and you think, oh God, I'll never be able to do that. And you hear all this music, you think, I'll never be able to do that, or painting. Well, start simple. People ask too much of themselves at the beginning, you know, just start easy. And this is something that I encounter all the time with every piece, and I'll tell it to my students as well. Okay, You don't have to love it. You don't even have to like it. You don't even know it. I mean, think of it as a person that you just met. You don't know anything about them. And as you talk to them more, you kind of get to know them more. And something happens, I can't describe it, but something happens and I like that. I like what I just did. I really like that, and for me, that gives me the, the impetus to keep going. But I ha- you have to go on faith for a while. You're not, you don't know it, you're you, not sure where it's gonna go, but something happens, I can't describe it, I don't know why, what it would be in art or in writing, but I know in music, I'll, I can play it back on my computer, I work on Finale, and I can play these things back, And I'm listening, 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 and then about measure 42, I go, "Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot." And what I say to my students and myself, you know, if uh, I've taught improv classes also, and I'll say, "I want a lot more of that. You don't need that so much of that, but a lot more of that. That is good. Follow that path." and you start following that path and it leads you to another path and another path and all of a sudden, it's, it's out of your hands, you know, and you're just kind of following it along because it's told you where it wants to go. But you kind of have to clear the path and not worry if you like it, not worry if it's complicated, complex, deep, profound. It doesn't have to be any of those things. It will become those things as it as it becomes itself, you know? I mean, it's, it's sort of, I mean, once once a piece is played, it's out of my hands, you know? It's not mine anymore, it, it's, it belongs to the player. And that's, that's one other philosophy I have, is I write for the player. I don't, I mean, I have to love it, of course. I mean, I, I can't give someone something that I just don't love, and I hope they love it too, but I, I want the player to love it, I want the player to just think, "Ah, I can kick butt on this piece, because if they like playing it, it, that doesn't mean it has to be easy or even beautiful, but it has to be passionate or whatever, you know, just, just engaging. If they like it, if they find themselves in that, they'll play it better, and the piece will be better because all of the individuals involved in the creation of the live performance are completely engaged. So I always try, I'm always thinking about the player, the player, the player, will they, will they love this? And when I wrote that um, the, the joyful noise for the symphony, I called up Ellen Sudia, who's our, who's our principal oboist. I said, Ellen, do you want to play your oboe? Do you want to play your English horn? Or do you want to play your oboe d'amour? She says, oh, I play my oboe d'amour. I never get to play my oboe d'amour. And there, there was just something about being able to write for her her instrument, her sound, that player, you know, I, I gave—I had to completely rewrite this whole movement because the oboe de Moore only goes down to an A and the English horn goes down to a G. And I had, so as you can see, I had a problem because I went down to G. So then I had to completely rewrite that. But But the point is, if I make the player happy, the piece is better. So there you go. Okay, so anyway, I don't know if you can take anything home with that, but don't try and be too complicated. Don't worry if you don't like it. Something, if you keep, you know, just gnawing at it, something just happens.
0: I I think I would just uh, add to start with questions and uh, just write down um, every single solitary question you can possibly think of and then. And then when you answer the questions, you might not be Joyce all of a sudden, you might be somebody else just answering the question. So I think that's a a really good way and uh, it's kind of like I told the kids this week when we were talking about questions and answers at the time, I said, you know, I said, "Um, what's a question, what's an answer? And I said, you know, some questions don't have answers and I said, what does a good question do? And to me, a good question gives you many more questions. Instead, you know, answers, the, I don't know. I, I'm not looking for the answer. I'm, I'm always ever looking for more questions, because that's what leads me. So um, I think you can, en- in a way, end up like, pardon the pun, knowing your subject, divorce yourself from, <laughs> You know, being the author on this and starting with these things and then just going with it. And the other little tiny thing I'd add is don't be a critic. Just blow it out, let it go. I always try to silence what I think of as the little person on my shoulder in my studio that's being fussy and telling me what not to do and to just get rid of this thing, this little gnat, and and try and and let it fly and uh another day come to it or look at it in the right place where i can look at it judiciously um, or with a with a kind of an impartial it's tough you know but when i can be more objective about it and sometimes uh i don't know if i wrote it on the sheet but i i have these Sometimes I call it turn your face to the wall times because there are times I, I, I can't look at it or uh, I think of it like an incubation period it needs uh, it needs to kind of get through it needs to take its own course and uh, that it doesn't reveal itself to me immediately so I mean a few, few and far between it does, and I love that <laughs> but that's few and far between. So Um, I want to ask, I don't know how we're doing on time. I don't want to just blather away here. But I also want to ask if anybody else has a question. Any more questions? Annie? I have some paintings, actually, even in this very slideshow, that uh, if I I did write the date on the back of the painting, and it said 2000-2019. Because what happened was it was a painting I did in 2000 that I was looking at in consideration for something else, another usage. I hadn't looked at it in a long time, and I pulled a number of paintings out. always a fun thing to do and was you know kind of really delighted with many but then there were some that I thought I can make that better so I have some paintings that I did last summer uh, that I put I just put one new mark over an old painting
1: and I think it's much better painting so. <laughs> I have gone back to, but I don't really change. I, I mean, I don't change what I've done. I, I figure it's what I was at the time. And um, it was good at the time. I'm better now. I, I, I go back to old things. Sometimes I go back to old things and I go, How did I do that? I mean, so I just try and make the next piece better from what I've learned. Um, both. Both are good, you know. I, I, it may be that I'm taking an old idea and putting a new mark on it by writing a new piece with, with some the same subject. yeah, yes. the same subject. Yeah, lakes, lakes. I like writing yeah. about lakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, it, it just, I don't know That's when. W- <laughs> yeah, you can. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to interject,
0: but no, I'm thinking. You know, so you, you, you are rehashing or using as a starting point
1: prior material. But, but, but maybe, maybe, um, perhaps not so much. Like I'm not going to. I've only borrowed from myself a couple of times. I mean, like using a theme in another piece, and that's a, like a, a principal theme. But uh, I'll revisit the same inspiration many times, okay. many okay. times. Okay.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, and uh, I guess me with materials, a lot of times it's. Uh, I should say my painting I paint on wood for the most part, not uh, canvas and linen as well, but most of these are, are on wood and they're custom made and they're very expensive. Um, let's say a four by four foot paint might be $500. That's for the piece of wood that I paint on before I put anything on it. So I have a lot of sacrificial lambs where <laughs> I go to my painting rack and I say, okay, who's gonna give it
1: up for the cause today? And uh, I'll go back over it. Yeah. That the, the beauty of writing on um, Finale, I mean, honestly, I have unbelievable wonder for Mahler and Beethoven and Bach and Mozart and Haydn and Handel and all these Debussy. And they wrote these things, and they never knew what they sounded like until they got played. Especially Beethoven. Yeah, especially Beethoven. He never did hear them. Well, I mean, he did, but only early on. I I, I use a. Um, speaking of materials, I have a little keyboard, a little two octave keyboard, that plugs into my computer, and I use Finale, which is a. Um, it is an industry staple. You know, all my I have five publishers, and they all use Finale. So. If you're going to submit a file, it better be in Finale so they can read it. But I can play back. I can, I can hit that button and I can hear it. Now, it's electronic somewhat, but it gives me an idea. And often when I'm stuck, or I, not major stuck, not like you are stuck for nine months. I mean, like when I'm stuck like today, <laughs> and I don't know what I'm going to do quite yet. Um, I'll play it. I'll play it. And it's kind of like... It's like throwing a paper airplane into the air, you know. And so the music is going, and then it stops, and then the paper airplane goes, and I go, "That's where it needs to go next." It's it's very interesting. It's like I, well, of course that's the next thing. So it helps me quite a bit to be able to do that.
0: I think I need some paper airplanes in my studio. Got the songs, got the airplanes going. <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, it's it's um. Well, you know, I have to say, I mean, stuck too. I mean, I, I uh, it's not always nine months. It's I, I have a really yeah, but it's it's always interesting to me what allows n- me, in hindsight, of course, to cross the finish line with something. I can't, I, can't, I, can't,
1: I I've thought this thought, I have to say it now. Okay, yeah. um, about about what to do next Uh, not necessarily stuck but what do you do next I'll say one other thing which I love which is uh, the subconscious okay and sleep learning or sleep you know what I when I'm in the midst of a piece first of all I try and work on it every single day I mean because there's this there's a magic to momentum even if you don't know what you're going to do I mean I say to myself okay 30 measures I gotta do 30 measures today gotta do 30 measures today that might be That might be a minute's worth of music, maybe, okay? So, you know, you just do it in increments. But, when I'm working on something, and I'll say to myself, okay, tomorrow, I need to have a good intro, or I need a transition for, I mean, I've got this, and I I, I need a transition, and I will go to sleep, and I will say, now, just get out of the way of the subconscious, because it never stops. The subconscious is always on it, back there, just kinda, pecking away at it. And often when I get up in the morning, now the theme is not emblazoned on the wall, but I get to work and something's dislodged the rock the rock jam and I can go forward. And I love that very it's very true. There's something to this subconscious work that is so effective. Because you get your brain out of it you get your involvement out of it you get your your judgment out of it or your you know like you said that don't be a critic the critic is gone the subconscious is just kind of behind the scenes going how about this how about this how about this and so many times it's there i can't describe it but it's a very powerful method to know how to go forward
0: yeah, I agree and I love to dream and I love to sleep, <laughs> so both good things, really good. Um, do we have any more questions or shall we, any more like um, Theodore Rettke, uh anecdotes that Yeah, and I think it's something that it's, it's a nonstop process. It's like you're always building. It's, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, the inspiration or the <clears throat> creativity or the bolt comes. Uh, well, for some, certainly, only when you're in a certain position in a certain outfit or uh, in a bathtub if you're Benjamin Franklin or, you know, uh, Hemingway at a lectern, different writers in different places. I had to have a very tall ceiling in my studio uh, because it helps me think. Just open space really helps me me think, so uh, that was really important to me. But um, I too have word lists, and we again talked about this this week with the kids when we gave them journals. Um, I have running lists all the time for titles, painting and ideas, I have quotes, and then I started buying multiple journals for all my categories and well they all get mixed up anyway so uh, that was pretty pointless but I do have this and uh, every writer I know does the same, uh, have these little stubby pencils and uh, lots of pockets on their clothing and um, it's just never turned off. Because it's true, I'm driving from upstate New York into the city, and boom, I hear a word on the radio that gets me excited, and uh, I want to remember that. So um, I try to find a way to remember that word until I get to a place where I can safely drive and write. (laughs) So... um, Anything else? I, I really don't know what time it is and I just don't want to keep anybody if they're hot, but I'm happy to Oh 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 then it's time to wrap. Wrap it up.